Hey, welcome to RSP Storytime. And joining me again this week is Adam Dorn, who just told a fantastic story in our debut about his bet with Kisses Gene Simmons that just went really well. So I thought I'd invite him to come back and hear one of my stories. It's not going to top Adam's, I'll tell you that. But it. Uh... I know the story. I think it actually kind of might. It's, I don't think people know what's coming, man. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, you know, this story is something that I'm always reminded of after 9-11 um, because this happened, um, you know, after after 9-11, you know, we ch the, the world changed how they do security at airports. And yeah. I never really thought about it this way until after 9-11, but... After a cup, you know, after that happened, I realized that I had legally stowed away on a commercial airline flight as a kid. <laughs> so, yeah, I think your volume went off. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I hear. No, okay. Good. Yeah. But yeah, I legally stowed away. I was, it was in the mid 80s. I was, you know, I think I was about 14 years old. Now, for those of you who don't know, I grew up with both my parents in the sense that they were divorced but one lived in denver colorado and we lived in atlanta georgia and we had moved down to atlanta from cleveland ohio so i'm this like jewish northern kid moving down to atlanta in the in 1980 at 10 years old you know Ooh. things that hit me were like tbs and like georgia championship wrestling and learning yeah. about like just southern culture and i grew up in a very segregated cleveland is a very segregated city yeah like it's yeah. it's not just i'm talking black and white but like religion um yep. where you where you emigrated from you know these are all things that you'd see there were like russian we lived in the russian italian part of town you know mm -hmm. my other part of my family lived in more of the jewish part of town you know they have all these different parts of town and it's still kind of that way oftentimes up north and in certain areas so moving down to georgia felt like i was moving to another country and and for and for practically it kind of was so i went through a little bit of difficulties when i was younger i was a people pleaser kind of kid and i share this because I was a people pleaser, got good grades, behaved myself, but there was this deviant side of me kind of underneath that when I acted out, I tended to get away with it. And part of that is probably the privilege of being the kid that I was. Um, right. But like, you know, I went through just, just after that, I was, this was on the heels of me deciding that, you know, like many kids have done, they try to shoplift something. Well, I didn't try to shoplift anything. I was the kind of kid that was so worried about getting caught stealing something. Instead, I did something worse, which was basically steal their, instead of like stealing gum, I would go into the back of the shop while they weren't looking, take all their canned goods and bottles and put it in my bag and then wait like four or five days and come back and resell them to the store so that I could have money to buy candy. Like, I don't, you know, that, that was kind of, that was kind of, I, you know, I, I don't know. I had a deviant side of me that I didn't know was there. So like I did that for months, not no. And then I got caught stealing a pack of gum because I thought that was the big deal. And so I tried it and then I never stole anything again, but, but I'll say this. So I, can I, I, can I interject and say the yeah. only time I stole something was <laughs> I stole an album from Sam Goody, out <laughs> Philly, 
I stole a vinyl album. I don't know how I got out of the place, but you want to know what who the artist was? Yeah. Because I don't think anyone listening will know this artist, but you will. Billy Cobham. Who steals <laughs> a Billy Cobham album on PRP? They would have given me the album. The store was, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, uh, you know, four years later, I worked in a record store and they had me take a test because they wanted specialists. And the, right. and the owner kept looking at me cross-eyed. He goes, you're the only person who ever knew who Bix Beiderbeck was that I've ever given this test to. So there That's you go. Amazing. So, That's but amazing. yeah. So anyway, this little deviant side is important to this story because I really wasn't that kind of kid. But I guess when I was acting out, I, when I, I was just on the heels of acting out on some things and, and that was part of it. So, and no one ever really knew that because the, when they did catch me, they didn't report me. They just told me never to come back to the store because it, right. it was a pack of gum. So, yes. and um, so anyway, few years later, I'm in Denver, Colorado, visiting my father during the summer. And at that time, you know, anyone could come to the gate and just wait for a plane to arrive. Yep. You know, anyone could come with you to drop you off. So we get to the gate and now I'm, you know, I'm I'm big for my age because at 13 or 14, I was about the height that I am now, which is about 5'11". So I was already like adult sized and then just never grew anymore after that. Um, but I'm also got a backpack and I have a tenor saxophone case with me. So and it's not just like one of those flight cases with like the... Um, you know, the materials that they have now is one of those old wooden plank like cases, yeah. you know, with the handle on the top and then the one on the side. And I got more of a workout walking that thing home. It's you big. Had the, you had the same flight case or, or travel case as Lester Young. Like it hasn't yes. changed since the 30s or 40s. And like you had a beefy, heavy like yeah. case. With, yeah. a, with my dad's Busher aristocrat tenor in there, which was basically a... That was the tenor that he had. I used to climb up it to, to like get Legos when I in the closet when I was a kid, not knowing what it was. I just yeah, needed a box to prop myself up on. Yeah. yeah so so when uh, I started playing, you know, my my mom I think I wanted to play trombone and my mom was like, Listen, you you, you know, um they ran out they ran out of options for trombone. You're gonna play saxophone. I think there's a little wink and a nod with that. I think it was because we had one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ended up playing saxophone. So anyway, I'm carrying this thing with me. It's just basically a bunch of planks, you know, fat, sewed together with some, you know, with some sort of, you know, vinyl interior on the top and lugging this around. You can't miss me, uh, seemingly. So we get on the plane and I forgot my, um, I forgot my backpack because I had left it at the gate. So, so my dad comes onto the plane. They let him onto the plane. He said, you know, you for, you forget this? And I said, oh, yeah, thanks. And I had my ticket in my hand. So I said, I gave him the ticket. And I said, hold this. And I put everything away. Gave him a hug. He said goodbye. He's got my ticket. Not a big deal. I'm on the plane. Who cares, right? So we're flying from Denver to Atlanta. There's storms in Atlanta. The, and it closes Atlanta Hartsfield International Airport, the busiest airport in the world. Oh, wow. Right? Close, yeah. Closes it. It's fogged over. They divert the flight and and they terminate it in Huntsville, Alabama. And it's like literally like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. Um, no, like about midnight. And it's terminated there. So we all get off the plane. We're in this little airport in Huntsville 
which oh, is yeah. like a lobby. It's just like, um, it looks like a hotel lobby. There's like actually two hotel rooms, like a hallway of hotel rooms in the, um, in the airport. And it looked, it looked like the entrance of a hotel lobby more than the airport from what I had ever seen. Cause I'd never been to a small airport. They terminate the flight. I'm sitting there and they say, well, here's your options. Um, we don't have any flights going out till tomorrow. So you can get a hotel room, you know, and I'm thinking, no, I can't. I don't have a credit card. I'm 14 years old. Or you can rent a car and drive to Atlanta. We'll pay for the rental car. Can't do that either. Nope. You know, so now I'm thinking, or you can fly tomorrow. So just hand, give us your tickets. So I look and, you know, I'm looking around for my ticket. Can't find my ticket. My dad has my ticket. So I'm in Alabama. It's literally, you know, it's midnight. I'm 14 and figuring out what am I going to do? So I call my parents, pay phone, I call my parents. But this is the classic like 80s movie, you know, yeah. situation that happens because you call your parents and it's be just before call waiting. Everyone had call waiting. So, yeah. of course, it's the divorced parents having the conversation about the kid and where is the kid? Because my mom's waiting at the airport. Yeah. I'm not there. They don't have me listed on the flight because they don't have my ticket. Right. Then um, that when I deboarded. So then she calls my dad. And of course, I'm calling multiple times trying to get to one of them. But they're both having an argument with each other. of uh -huh. Where's Matt? And he's like, he was on the plane. No, he isn't. Yeah, he was. Unless he jumped out of the plane in the middle of the flight. He was there. I handed him these things. Well, they don't have him listed and they, they don't know where he is. And we don't, I don't know where he is. And they just told me to go home because they, the flight's not even arriving until tomorrow and wow. just freaked out. I'm trying to call nothing's going on. And so after like 10 minutes of trying to call and running out of change, and then the calling card not working that I did have, um, right. I just hung up and I'm thinking what I'm going to do. And I go sit down, lug my saxophone and my, and my bag with me. And I'm sitting in the lobby and there's this husband and wife and the wife walks over to the husband. She goes, there's an Eastern airline flight with like, oh. supposedly with airline equipment, um, with, um, um, radar equipment that's going to try and fly into Atlanta right now. And if they get clearance, they're going to land, even though the airport's officially closed. If they don't, they're going to turn back around. So she's like, do you want to try? And he's like, yeah. So they go off running now. 14 not you know you're just smart enough to like get into trouble so i just think fuck it yeah so i get up and i start running behind them with like you know with all my shit and we get out onto this tarmac we climb up on the plane nobody's there to greet you so we all just file in it's a 727 stretch 727 i go as far into the back as i can and I'm like right at the seat behind those old closets with the curtain, you know? Yeah, so yeah. So I'm sitting, I'm sitting right there. And I'm sitting there going, okay, cool. This is this is good. And then I see the airline attendant get on. And then she's like announces that she's gonna be collecting everybody's tickets from you know, to get on the plane. <laughs> and at that point, I don't stand up and go, I don't have a ticket. I don't wait and panic for to go and have a ticket. I look at the closet. And I literally like take my saxophone, just stow it under the seat, hoping that she doesn't see it. And, and I literally climb into the closet and shut the curtain. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So I shut the curtain. She comes walking through. She must only go halfway. Cause there's nobody sitting in the back. Everybody was sitting up front. 
and she she gets on and as i see her get into the jump seat as the plane starts taxiing down the runway i climb out and crawl into my seat and just uh-huh. sit down and we take off we land in atlanta and we and as we land as we're getting off the plane you can see her like looking at me and that's and it's like she's smiling and saying goodbye to everybody but you can see in her eyes like she's doing the math and going where did he come from? How did I not? How did I not miss this kid? Like he's carrying a, a like a huge ass case and a backpack, and he's like a tall kid. How does how do I? I don't remember. You can right. just see all that going on, and I just said thanks, and she just thank you. You know, like even kind of stuttered it, like yeah. And I just walked off, got out in Atlanta. It's literally four thirty in the morning. There is the emptiest I have ever seen that airport. Only yeah. employees were there. Right. And then I call my mom and she's like, where are you? Just freaking out. And I'm like, I'm at Atlanta. I'm at the Hartsfield. She's like, how'd you get? I'm like, can you just, can you pick me up? Or <laughs> you know, I'll tell you when I get there. And, and I forgot all about that story until 9-11. Um, yeah. And realized that if I had tried that, at 9-11 in you know in yeah, this post era 9/11, yeah. post 9-11 yeah i mean i would have an up close and personal conversation with dsa um, oh yeah you know and oh no no yeah. you, you know and even as a 13 or 14 year old you'd be in a world of trouble you know i i was i'm, I'm not gonna lie i was kind of secretly hoping that you would just stay in the closet for the whole flight <laughs> <laughs> that would be insane but how did they miss your sacks under under underneath you know I, the the seats i think it was just because it was so far she didn't walk up and down the aisle she must not have because the plane was so empty yeah that, so why bother going back why go, no yeah cuz it was a stretch 727 so it's a long plane anyway right. and i went back like where the smoking section was like literally yeah. like on the border of the smoking section yeah, yeah, in the yeah. middle of the plane and there was only there had to have been only a dozen to two dozen people at most on right. that flight so, so it's already a capacity of like 150 people anyway so they're spread out yeah I, by the way like for anyone listening hearing that there was smoking on airplanes the concept of smoking on airplanes where it was like oh no no it's relegated to these rows you're in a tube in the sky there's no such thing as smoke behaving you know what i mean like it's the most disgusting can you imagine being like 19 and you fly to europe for the first time <laughs> there is no smoke the whole plane is the smoking section you know yes no bananas wow. no my wife my wife probably longs for those days because she's a smoker so oh, she, she wow. smokes outside but she's a smoker you know and she's oh, I've, I've often joked about her as a smoker because she was also a world-class sprinter but she smoked a pack a day so what? yeah yeah but that's another yeah. story at another time and she has yeah. a, she has a story that i think will top both of ours at some point that i just will call oh op- i can imagine call can opera imagine. mom and it involves her at a Walmart. So that's what that's going to be. That'll be a fun one. I'm going to have her tell you, tell you that story. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy shit, man. So you, first of all, Eastern airlines no longer in existence. Right. Like, you know, I used to, there used to be a gigantic, like, as you approach the airport in Boston, I didn't fly until I was like, I really never, my father was so deathly afraid of flying 
that we never flew as a family. Okay. We would drive everywhere. So Eastern Airlines, I, I actually, I, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, my first flight was on Eastern Airlines from like Boston to like Portland, Maine, which is a similar Huntsville to Atlanta. It's like a useless, it's like a 16 minute flight. It's yeah. like nothing. Um, and Eastern was like this, you know, it was a huge deal, huge, yeah. huge deal gone, just yeah. gone. You know what I mean? Like, um, but I love that you stowed away on an Eastern, like, oh, the only thing that would be like more like out would be like a Pan Am flight. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know? right. It yeah. wasn't, it, it was nowhere near as slick as catch me if you can, you know, no, 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 no. as a pilot, but you know, it, it, it definitely fit into like the eighties movie theme of the kid, like being in over his head and somehow managing to do something. And then Absolutely. meanwhile, the parents are like, more reacting to each other uh, you know yeah. about this it, it was i i literally felt like i was a character in an 80s movie like oh, a, you, a john you, hughes you, movie or something you, you know literally were then the thing that made it like even funnier is that you're like you know you're this aspiring jazz musician kid shuttling between two hubs i might add yeah. denver and atlanta you know delta and united respectively so i'm like how they couldn't get you smoothly between those two weather aside it's just like are you kidding me like you know yeah. yeah and then being like and being this jewish northern kid who was like still three years removed from being deathly afraid of to the foreign country that i was moving to called the oh. south which yeah. i had no reason to be deathly afraid of after no. a while it's like I, I, I'm a southerner now for sure but like yeah. at that time the idea of Alabama was like going out into like the forbidden zone and oh. like going and just and you know I wasn't deathly afraid but it's that underlying thing where you go and like I don't know where I am I don't know no. anybody here I know nothing about this place other than that there was a space camp that some of my classmates went oh, to you, you know in Huntsville <laughs> you know and and so it's like that and then just like all the things that could have gone wrong with that is everything is, could have gone wrong yeah i mean like literally everything could have gone wrong total side note if yeah. I, I may and this is a bizarre potentially dark side note so i love it okay. okay moving to atlanta in 80 81 i'm assuming right oh yeah i know where you're going you know where i'm going yeah wayne williams right yeah Oh yeah. What was that like? Because I remember being afraid of that in Philly, and that yeah. makes no sense. But I remember being like, because I grew up, you know, I grew up in a suburb, but I, you know, I was near like, you know, a huge black section of Philly, West Philly, and a lot of my friends were there, and I just remember being like, that was just so insane, like that. I, you know, what was that like as a kid? It if was. It, it was bizarre. It yeah. was. It was bizarre, and it was scary. And it yeah. was, and it was, and there are two little things about that. I mean, one is that, you know, even though it happened mostly in neighborhoods that were highly populated more by black yeah. people, um, yeah. it was still something that everyone was afraid about and didn't know whether it was just isolated to black children um, right. in those neighborhoods, even though it was looking that way. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of fear. They would have these ominous, um, like public service announcements on TV with like ominous music, where uh, literally like the like the the adult would voice over. It's eight o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Absolutely. Like it was just that was kind of chilling. It was 
um, you, you know, so seeing that. And then also, you know, when you do come from, uh, you, you come to the South, which at that time too was very much, and still is to an extent, has a, a very Christian, outwardly Christian element to it, or yeah. form of Christianity, you know, Baptists and diff different forms of that, and more fundamentalist types of stuff. You also become more exposed to how people see minorities who, yeah. when there's folks who are a little more ignorant. Whereas I would say that the North sometimes has as much racism and, and issues as the South there, but they're, they keep it kind of behind closed doors or they're not as upfront about it in the South as a lot of my black friends and mentors would say to me growing up, you know where you stand here and you, and they show it pretty clearly. And most of the time they just want to be away from you. So I'd rather live here for that preference than live somewhere where I'm getting smiles and I'm getting treated seemingly okay but I don't really know who I can trust and not trust. And yeah. so that took a while to learn. But yes, I mean, because that's the other thing, going somewhere in the South and you hear, well, this is where the real, whether it's fair or not, because every place is more complicated than the stereotype. But the idea that, you know, that the word, that the N word and Jew was not a conjunction, it was just one word by some people in <laughs> at that time in that period. Yeah. You know, as someone who grew up in a, in, in a neighborhood where there were a lot of Jews and going somewhere where there weren't, you yeah. were a little more hyper aware of that as a young age and going and being like in the middle of Huntsville, Alabama, oh. you know, I had no idea. So there was that. And then just, that was the first, you know, the song, Another One Bites the Dust by Queen, sure. never played in Atlanta after an incident in like, I think 81 or 82, because there was a DJ who literally trying to be funny and satirical uh -huh. and failing miserably, dedicated that song to the uh -oh. missing and murdered children of Atlanta. Oh, uh, what? And what God, a, yeah. Absolutely reverent. Isn't that disgustable? Yeah, it's disgusting. And yeah. he and he was immediately fired, and Good. no station played that song. If you know you know someone who lived in Atlanta and grew up in Atlanta in the seventies and eighties, because they will remember that that song stopped playing on the radio for about a good 10, 15 years wow. and, in Atlanta. And and they and even when they do play it, they only play it usually very late at night. Um, that's that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, and, and such an iconic tune to have it be like yeah. erased by such an, like an, you know. An, yeah. I, I always associated it with football because Billy Sims was playing in, in, uh, in Detroit. Well, it was a star yeah. running back. And they used to yeah. play that song um, for the Lions. The Lions like kind of adopted um, that song during their season. And so I was a big fan of Billy Sims and I'm listening to this song. And whenever I would hear it, I'd kind of get excited to hear it. And then I wondered why it, came off and some one of my friends said you don't know you don't know what happened yeah. and i was like no and he was like he showed me the newspaper you know another thing that seems to be gone these days but <laughs> the journal constitution down there yeah they, yeah um uh well i love you i if you bringing up billy sims i have to mention how eric hipple replaces in that year yeah eric hipple is the replacement and they actually turn into a good team i i, I think it's it's not is it Gary Danielson that gets yeah. down and Hipple yeah. takes over? Yeah, and then get, they brought Danielson back for the playoffs against the 49ers where they had yeah. the game literally. They were the favorites to beat Walsh's 49ers, and nope. Danielson just like 
threw the game away with multiple interceptions. I was just actually watching that again because I was oh, watching yeah. Billy Sims about a month ago, um, watching old running backs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With his yeah. karate kicks, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, oh, man. So killer. <laughs> oh, one one last thing because okay. you mentioned Atlanta in 1980, 81. Do you become a William Andrews fan and a and an Alfred Jenkins fan and a Barkowski fan? I mean, they were they were pretty damn good team i was i was dyed in the wool cleveland browns fan but i loved william andrews and i and he's one of the and i'm glad you brought him up because anyone who listens to my stuff on a regular basis at least once a year i talk about william andrews as one of the great running backs that nobody remembers it's absolutely him and george rogers like had a thing this slashing thing and you just don't hear about them and they were killer running backs yeah you know I remember reading in a magazine that, again, is no longer existent, called Sport, I think it was oh, called. yeah, Sport, absolutely. They interviewed Walter Payton, and they asked him, who would you block for in the NFL if you were asked to block for any running back? And he said, I'd block for Matt Suey because he's blocked for me for so long. And Classic. the only other running back that I would that I would block for would be William Andrews. Wow. Because if they made me a fullback and William Andrews was the starting tailback, I would do that. That's that's like Bird giving the nod to Sonny Stitt. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And and we don't even need to like elaborate on that because we know what yeah. that you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just go just go just go watch William Andrews trucks Ronnie Lott. And that's Whoa. that's all you need to know. You can go find that on YouTube. And that's a that's a good way to end this. But listen, yeah, I appreciate man. you joining me for this and, and and we'll uh and if you out there enjoy story time, please let me know. Share and if you have a story you want to share, you think that it would be a, a fun story to tell, you know, we're we're telling them, you know, it's kind of our virtual way over beers on a Friday. Um, you know, we got a good response from from my buddy Barrow who wrote, and he was like, why are you doing this at the beginning of the season? That was my first thought. Like I've got all so much football content to digest. And then Adam told this story and I was howling. I was howling over this. And he goes, I don't know how you're going to top that. So I don't know if me stowing away on a plane will top that, but I, I think it's enough to be up there that, you know, I know my wife's story might be the topper. I am, oh, so, but if you can, if you dig these first two stories and have one that you think fits in that vein, email me at mattwaldenauersbeachemail. So Matt and I play this week in our league. I don't care who wins. I'm not that like ultra, like yeah, I was yeah, just going to say, know. I think it's good on Fridays to tell some stories because I know that folks listening to this, to your podcast are like, obsessing to a point over like wide receiver six (laughs) just take a deep breath and laugh you might actually it might actually help your lineup to take a step away from it yeah take a break take a break yeah Yeah. Yeah. take a break well we hope you enjoyed yours thanks so much everyone for listening we'll see you next week